We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 7 today. Thank you, praise team. Luke, chapter 7, and verse number 36. Luke 7 and 36, very familiar passage. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet. And anointed them with the ointment from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Now, when the Pharisee, which had invited him, saw it, he said within himself, within himself, he's talking to himself. He did not say it out loud. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. I love this. And Jesus, answering, said unto him, this man had just had a conversation in his own mind, and Jesus answered him. And he said, I've got something to say to you. <laughs> he said, Master... Say on. He said there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now you tell me which one of them will love him the most. Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one that he forgave the most. He said, Simon, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman. So imagine this with me. He turns to the woman. But he is addressing Simon. And he said, do you see this woman? I entered into your house. But you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou did not anoint. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. To whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Father, we need you today to speak in this house. I believe that you have spoken to my heart. I believe, God, that you have a word for somebody in this place. And I'm asking that your word would come alive. It's always good seed, Lord. 
I pray for good soil today. Your word will never pass away. Let it come to life in the good soil of someone's heart today. And for this, we'll give you praise, thanks, and glory in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I've wrestled today uh, with a title. I don't know. I never did see in the scripture where the Apostle Paul gave a title for his sermons. But it really does help for people to remember. And it kind of gives preachers a parameter of where they're going to go. But I've struggled a little bit with it. So I'm going to give you a couple of options today. And I want to tell you, first of all, true worship changes the atmosphere. It's the first thing. But what I really want to talk to you about is when my worship makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> worship will absolutely change the atmosphere. But I want you to know today that true worshipers will make people uncomfortable. Because when you realize how good God's been to you, there ain't nobody in this world that can shut you down, shut you up, change your mind. When you realize, man, I feel him here. When you realize how good God's been. See, some of us today are sitting here looking at people like they got it all together and it's all good. But I want to tell you, they love him today and they're here today because of where God brought them from. They look back over their life and they realize if it had not been for the goodness of our God. Woo! I don't know if you got chills like I got chills right now, but I'm looking at a room full of testimonies today. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. Hallelujah. When my worship makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> So, this woman that we read about in the scripture, washing the Lord's feet, by a connection of scripture, and we're going to do that today, I'm going to take just a few minutes to connect some dots. In the scripture, we find out that although she is not named in this passage, nor in Mark 14, uh, we do find out that this woman that washed his feet was none other than Mary of Magdala. This woman is so unique because we see her mentioned in other places besides just the anointing of the feet of Jesus and the anointing of his head. She said that in another passage of this story telling the same story, she she came to anoint him, Jesus said she came to anoint my body for burial. Because we see, if you read the passage in Mark 14, that the Passover was coming to a close and it was time for Jesus to be offered up. And so this was not only just her worship, but it was symbolic that Jesus was getting ready to be offered up and his body would be prepared. And with that thought in mind... Mary does not just wash his feet, 
and run away. As a matter of fact, after the Passover and the Feast of First Fruits now is upon us and it's time for the Messiah to be resurrected. The scripture tells us that as the sun crawled above the horizon, that this woman had walked down the dark streets that day headed to a garden tomb. And the spring dawn breeze blew through the garden as the dark night melted away. This unique woman of scriptural precedence steps into this beautiful garden. Her steps were truly rushed. Her gait was uneven. Her heart was in shambles. It's an image as poignant and touching, pathetic and wretched as anyone has ever witnessed. No one else would join her this morning. She stood alone with her emotions, all by herself. But Mary was about to become one of the most unique people ever mentioned in scriptural history. Because to her, had been given an honor that was not offered to Peter, to John, who had been in the same spot just moments before. But it was Mary, the Magdalene, who was the first human being to see the resurrected Messiah. The tomb that should have held the mortal remains of the rabbi now stands open. And the large stone door that had been rolled over the door had now been rolled to the side. The grass and the soil were moist from the morning dew. The perfume of the spring flowers filled the air. Her heart had been mutilated. Her mind had been tormented by the events of days before when the one from Galilee whom she admired so deeply, whom she respected, whom she followed, whom she loved, had been battered on a cross and died. Those same tears that washed his feet now streaming down her face. Her body was weighed down with grief. And now, coming to the place to pay her respects after the Sabbath was over, now she stands there in mind-numbing shock and disbelief as she sees an empty tomb. She came to shed her grief, to deal with her grief. Only now, she deals with a whole different level of grief. Her name, Mary. Miriam in Hebrew, a woman of means from the Galilean town of Magdala on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's not a lot that we know about her. There's ironically many myths about this woman because anybody that has favor will always have stories told about them. I'm going to preach to you in a minute. Just stay with me. Mary was one of six people 
named in the New Testament. Her role was pivotal, but it was underrated. She's probably one of the least understood, or should I say the most misunderstood, misrepresented people in the entire Bible. Luke the 8th chapter in the first verse said, and it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. For a time in her life, this Mary of Magdala was possessed with seven devils. Not one, folks. Seven devils. How and when Jesus cast the devils out of her scripturally is unknown. Only the fact that he did it. But unlike many who were healed, cleansed, delivered, set free, and returned to their daily lives, Mary Magdalene, And some other women became sponsors and followers of Jesus' ministry supporting him. Supporting his disciples. Blessing them with private possessions. In some ways, historical accounts present to us that Jesus had more than 12 disciples that were men. That these women, in the later days of his ministry, became disciples in their own right. It seems, if you would, that Mary, by all rights, was the leader of this band of women. In other words, something so deep had transpired in her life that she had to tell somebody else about the goodness of the Lord. I plan on following Jesus. And if you know what's good for you, you'll come follow Jesus with me. Mary was a woman of great courage. She followed Jesus in his ministry all the way to the cross and into the tomb. And what a journey it was. As a demon-possessed person, I'm certain that she was very desperate. And when Jesus set her free, she took all that she had and said, whatever it cost me to follow him, freedom has made it worth The price. She was just like that one leper that came back. The other were cleansed. But the leper that came back was made whole. However, after the leper was made whole, he just flees and we don't ever hear anything else about the leper. But this Mary was so attracted to the power of God in this Christ that she couldn't just walk away from him. This is how you know somebody's really been converted. When it doesn't matter what you do to try to discourage them. They just can't walk away (laughs) from the master. 
You know, probably one of the most common myths surrounding this Mary of Magdala is that she was a prostitute. There's really no precedent for it whatsoever. I've heard it said many times this woman of ill repute came in and washed his feet. The Bible doesn't say that. Matter of fact, it doesn't even insinuate that. The scripture said that she was a sinner. And because it said she was a sinner, people put a tag on there and said, well, I guess she was a woman of the night. It's funny because people will always draw to their own conclusions. <laughs> Man, I want to preach so bad, I'm trying to keep it in first gear for a minute. It's so tough when you've been delivered and everybody's got their own idea. Here's what we don't know. We don't know if she was a prostitute. We don't know whether or not she was a prostitute. We do know that she had seven devils. And we do know that she was set free. And that's all that really matters. What I've come to tell you is it doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what people say about you. What matters is that one touch from the master will set you free. My God. Most theologians would agree pretty much without any other conclusion. That it is this woman, Mary, in Luke the 7th chapter, that broke her alabaster box of ointment over the feet of Jesus. And rightfully so, because earlier in that same chapter in 7 and 21, it said in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. By verse 36, Simon, the Pharisee, asked the Lord to come to his house. But if you read Mark 14, he's not just labeled as Simon, a Pharisee. He's called Simon, the leper. But the Lord has already done a work in Simon's life. So now the only thing he can do is to stand around and criticize other people. Because now he's been made perfect. I'm preaching right now. This man had a past too. But when the woman walked in the house to worship, he didn't deal with his past. He just wanted to talk about hers. I'm trying to stay in my skin for just a few minutes this morning. I want you to know today I thank God for you precious people. I thank God for how beautiful you are. I thank the Lord for all of you that are beautified, took care of yourself, dressed up, even smell pretty on Sunday morning. But if the true story were to be told about most of us, the truth is that it hadn't always been like this. I have no right here today to look at anybody who wants to worship him and tell them how foolish their worship is because I too was a leper. I too have a past. Oh God. Yeah. 
Can you imagine the gall of a man that was a leper, but he said in his own mind, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. Let me deal with the heart of the matter this morning. It brings us to a place where if we're not careful, once we have been set free, we will become professional Pentecostals and we'll forget how good God has been to us. Simon, I know you may feel like you're worthy, sir. I know you may feel like you're the one that's got all the answers. But I want to tell you about a woman who came. And Jesus said, let me ask you a question. Through a story, Simon, he said, which one of these would have been forgiven and would be more thankful. He said, I assume the one that's been forgiven the most. He said, thou hast rightfully said, because sometimes it's not really how much you've been delivered from. It's how much you're willing to give God glory for delivering you from it. I hope what I'm saying is making sense to somebody right now. Simon, don't you think that you became whole on your own power? You didn't get well because of who you are. You got well because of who he is. It's easy to forget how much he's forgiven us. It's easy to forget how good God's been to us. God help us if we ever get so polished in our Pentecostalism that we forget how far he's brought us from. I don't want to live in the past, and I don't want you to live in the past, but I want you to know it's only by his goodness, it's only by his mercy that we're here today. Hallelujah. I got to get where I'm going this morning. To understand where this woman came from helps you understand a little bit about the sacrifice that she was giving to the Lord in worship. Why was she even there? Why did she, she, why did she even show up to Simon's house? Did anybody even invite her? No. But she was there because she had to testify to the goodness of the Lord. Now I'm going to take you on a little short journey here. I want to give you a preview into my personal world when helping other ministers and they, you know, you're, 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 you're at ministers conferences and helping develop preachers and all those things. They ask you questions like I've, I've sat on panels and, and discussions and they'll say, Brother St. Clair, how do you prepare a sermon? So I'm getting ready to tell you. This is how I study. When I'm looking at a story, I try to forget that it's just ink on paper. And I know that these are people that were living, breathing, had troubles, chaos, just like we do. But if I can, I like to walk into whatever room or place that this is all transpiring and, 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 and happening in. And I like to walk around the room. I want to know who's there. 
And so I start grabbing from every section of the word that I can find a story about Mary. Where was she? How did this happen? How did she get here? And when she goes into Simon's house, I want to know who all is in the house. I want to know what they're doing. I want to see the look on their face. This is the part that's unrecorded. It's not there. But it certainly brings you a different perspective of the scripture when you understand whose house she's in. A man who knows the law. A man who was a leper, a man who understands what it feels like to now be whole, but apparently he doesn't remember what it feels like to be broke. And so the word of the Lord starts to come alive to me as I walk into the room. I'm an uninvited guest, and they don't even know I'm there. You just think Calvary's powerful until you start walking around the cross. You start walking around that cross and all the people that Jesus talked to, John, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. That's neat on paper. But you ought to stand there and try to hear, if you can, the weakened voice of the master as his breath becomes weak and he knows that he's just about finished and he looks at John and he says John behold your mother his lungs are filling up with fluid and you can hear the rattle in his throat woman behold your son It is finished sounds really neat because you know that he's concluded the matter until you realize he didn't say it with a great shout. He said it with all he had left. It is finished. And he hangs his head. I like to walk around the story. It just looks different. When you see the look on Judas's face, when he's sitting there propped up on his right arm, and Jesus said, the one who dips his hand in the sop with me, and Judas goes, I just dipped in the sop. And you see the conversation that's going on in his mind. You understand what I'm saying now? The story comes to life. It looks different. And so I allowed myself to walk into Simon's house. I started looking around the room. And I saw this woman come in. There's some very important things you need to know. She did not just walk in and bow down in front of him. If you read the story, the scripture said she walked in and came behind him. Because she was willing to prostrate herself. In a place behind him, she said, I'd rather follow him. Oh, nobody wants to help me right here. Why didn't she just first get down in front of him? Because she was positioning herself to follow him. She was saying, when we're through here, I'm not through with you. I will continue to follow you. In other words, when Sunday is over and the lights are turned off. (laughs) And nobody else is worshiping. I'll be right here with you. She put him in a place in her life. That wherever he goes now, I can follow him wherever he goes. 
Because if I'm in front of him, I'm looking at my past. But if I'm behind him, I'm looking at my future. And wherever he's going, God help us this morning. She got down on her hands and her knees. And I don't know how good your imagination is. Sometimes I think maybe mine's a little weird. There's a thing in flying that we call it's the cheapest thing you can do in aviation. We call it chair flying or hangar flying. It doesn't cost any fuel at all. You just sit down and you start walking through your flight. I've spent a lot of time armchair flying, knowing what kind of weather I'm going into. If I'm going into this, how am I going to do it? What am I going to do when I get there? What's the elevation look like? Is there mountains in the air? And you just, you fly it over and over in your mind, and it's real, and you walk through it, and you see it. I don't know how many of y'all do anything like this, but I, in my mind, I put my hands on the controls. I know what's going on. I know what the power setting's supposed to be. I know how it's supposed to happen. It's kind of like driving that big rig. You already know what gear you're going to before you get there. If you don't, then you're... Never mind, I ain't going to talk about the sissies. I got in my cousin's truck the other day, and that Kenworth, he said, this is sad, bro. Nobody even knows how to do this anymore. It's a millennial, millennial anti-theft device. It's called a manual transmission. Five of you will get that in just a minute. See, there's a few of, in, of you in here that when you learn to drive, it's like. <laughs> My first truck was a stick. But I wanted to hang her fly a little bit with Mary. And I wanted to imagine what it felt like. When she walked into the room. And all these highfalutin people sitting around the table started whispering, who does she think she is? Simon leans over. Pastor, this is in the Bible. No, it's in my mind. And Simon leans over and says, she's interrupting my time with the Lord. Who in the world does she think she is. And you start looking at some things that you know are there, but they're not recorded. You know it's there. Because she breaks the box, and you can hear it. You can hear the precious stone as it breaks. And she lifts it up, and she pours it over him. And oil now has his hair stuck to his head. And it's running down on his garment. And she gets down on the floor. And she can't even see his feet through the tears. But she begins to anoint his feet. And people at the table are over here whispering, what a waste. Does she know how much that's worth? Of course she does. She's invested in it. And Simon said, this woman has the gall to walk up in my house and do this to the Savior. And he ponders in his own heart and mind. And never says it openly. But if he knew what kind of woman this was. 
Now, there's a lot that can be translated, lost in translation. So we don't know for sure. But here's what I want you to realize. There's some power in this. His thoughts were so powerful that they ended up on paper. Never opened his mouth. And the Lord said, I'm going to record what he was thinking. And not only am I going to record it, I'm going to deal with it. Because, Simon, you forget how good God has been to you. And I start looking and I, I, I see the oil on his garment. It's like there's no doubt she's been there, Brother Caleb. It's all over his clothes. The dusty floor in the house. Now he knows that because... There's oil all over his feet. That automatically the dirt and the dust is going to be attracted to his feet when he starts to walk. He knows that it's there. I mean, you're just walking around the room and you're looking and you see the Pharisees just sitting at the table having their own good time. They're not paying attention to what she's doing because it makes them mad. And all of a sudden that's when you realize that her worship has made them uncomfortable. And it's in the chaos of the moment that I realized because I was not physically in the room and I'm watching and I'm trying to listen to everything they're saying at the table. Brother Stephen, I almost missed the most powerful element of the story because I could not smell. It was not just the value of the box. It was the fragrance of the oil. And these men who are sitting at the table, they start to smell something that's greater than their opinion. I'm not real comfortable with her doing this, but you smell that? You know how valuable that is? Do you know what a waste that is? And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, something dawned on me. The real, the real reason that Simon was so uncomfortable with the worship of this woman is that her worship was so powerful that when he and Jesus left the house that day, when Simon came back that night and went to walk into his house, the first thing he was met with when he walked in the door was the fragrance of the worship that made him uncomfortable. Simon said, I smell somebody's been in my house. And he was reminded that there was worship that went on here. As he looked down on the floor, there was an oily residue of an interchange that had happened that was left on the floor. And when Simon woke up in the middle of the night and he took a deep breath, he began to smell the residue of the worship that made him uncomfortable. I'm telling you right now, that true worship doesn't go away when the lights are turned off and you drive off the parking lot there is a residue that's left behind and people will know it I'm hurrying I'm hurrying I'm hurrying Simon walked back at his house that night 
And he started to walk through the dining room. And he looked down on the floor and he was reminded. That's true worship. And for days. Every time that critical spirit would come on him. He'd walk in that room. Just walk around the room with me if you would. And he didn't dare clean it up. He didn't have the guts to start mopping it up. Because he realized the fragrance of true worship had filled his house. Oh, if I had time, I'd preach about that. There's, oh, there can only be so many fragrances in the house. And when we're willing to clean up the fragrance of worship so that we can get the fragrance of Hollywood... Is it any wonder why nobody can smell our worship anymore? Is it any wonder why our house smells more like entertainment than it does worship? Simon walked in. He said, I can't clean it up. I don't know. It wasn't my fault that it's there. But there's something about this worship that I just can't get over. There's something about this worship that I just don't want to clean up. And now there's a change of events because Jesus is going to be offered up. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, Simon walked in the house and he began to smell the fragrance. He said, now I know that this anointing was great enough for my deliverance. This anointing is what gave him the strength to go to the cross. May it be today that when we walk into our houses, there is a fragrance of worship that makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> Stay with me if you would for just a moment. I'm trying to get there in a hurry. But the ointment, the sweet perfumes that filled that alabaster box were apparently very close. And their smell values and the tones of the smells, all of the oils that were in that box were very similar to the oil that you would smell when they prepared one's body for burial. It was apparently a very similar recipe of oil. Oh, I want to help somebody so bad. That woman took the oil that she had invested her life in. I read one time that when women would have a nice alabaster box like that, there was an opening on the top that they didn't just store oil in it. But because of the fragrance of it, it was uplifting. It said that whenever they had gone through a bitter season... They would sit down in their home and open up that alabaster box to not be overwhelmed with bitterness. They would allow that sweet fragrance to fill their nostrils. But as they would weep, that their tears would drip down into that oil. Can you imagine? Not only was she pouring out the oil, but in the middle of her worship that was on the ground were the nights that she was afraid and alone and bitter. Whew. And broken, but the perfume was more powerful than the poison. But can you imagine? She's washed his feet with her tears, dried it with her hair. Now her hair's oily 
filthy. Because not only did her worship change her and minister to the Messiah, change the house and minister to the Messiah, but when she walked out, when she walked past people, they could smell her coming. What's that smell? That smells expensive. And under her breath, she would walk by and say, and you have no clue how expensive. But it was worth it. And she followed him to the cross, and she smelled like worship. She knelt down at his feet and worshiped him. And then they carried him to the tomb. And for three days, he lays in the tomb. And on that morning that she makes her way down to the garden. Those tears are streaming down her face. She's saying, Lord, if I could just worship you one more time. If I could just let these tears fall on your feet one more time. If only I could. And as she enters into the gate. Now, folks, remember, when you walk into the story, it's easy to see things. But it's hard to smell things. And there was something that transpired when she walked through the gate just about the time that her brain made the connection that the stone is missing. There was a fragrance that filled the air. That smells familiar. What is that? She walks up to the tomb, she looks inside. Now understand you gotta know you gotta know the story. Because when Peter and John walked up earlier into the tomb, you gotta understand what they saw, Sister Jenny. They saw one angel sitting on one end facing the middle, and one angel sitting on the other end facing the middle. And it looked really, really familiar to them. Because in all of their history, they learned about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That the glory of God dwelled on the mercy seat. Where one angel sat on one side and looked to the middle. And another angel sat on the other side and looked to the middle. But now the mercy seat was no longer, God have mercy, on the ark of the covenant. They realized that the mercy seat was in a tomb where mercy had been resurrected. And the fragrance begins to fill the garden as he steps up behind her. Folks, you don't have to believe me, but you've just got to know it's in the book. When she came to anoint him, she came up behind him and began to anoint his feet. When she walked into the garden, the Bible said that Jesus walked up behind her. And all of a sudden, that smell, God help us, began to feel the atmosphere. And she realized the investment that I made in worship has now come to pay me back for what I invested. You will never pour anything out in worship that God doesn't give back to you in a garden. You can judge me if you want to. You can call it a waste if you want to. 
But when the smell filled the air, the scripture says she turned around. And there he was. There he is. I smell that. I smell that fragrance. Because you've been anointed. But I thought you were just anointed for burial. But today I realize that your anointing was for resurrection. And folks, here's what you must know. It's not recorded that it happened like this in the New Testament, but Jesus kept with the law. He said it, but it doesn't show it. He said, don't touch me. You remember that? Why don't touch me? It's as though when she turned around and saw him, she started to come for those feet again. But he said, don't touch me. I have not ascended to my father yet. What? What's that mean? Because when he comes to Thomas, he said, go ahead. What was the difference with Mary and Thomas? The difference is he took the fragrance that he was anointed with in the mercy seat of that tomb. And he ascended to the mercy seat of heaven. God. And he sprinkled the blood of the new covenant. On the mercy seat of heaven. And all of the angels of heaven. Said what is that smell? What is that smell? And Jesus anoints the mercy seat. With the fragrance of worship. That was smelled in the house. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying what I believe is that our worship, the fragrance of our worship will fill the throne room of heaven. Whatever it is you lay down at his feet, it will arise into the nostrils of God as a sweet-smelling savor. Don't you worry if your worship makes people uncomfortable. You give it to God. You let God have it. It's going to God. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I need this fragrance to be pure when I get to the throne. And as he ascends to the throne and anoints the mercy seat, he descends back to the earth and he passes through a wall. Thomas said, I, I'd really like to touch you. He said, come on, Thomas. Handle me. Go ahead, son. Go ahead. Feel the nail prints. I dare you to walk in this room with me. Go ahead, son. Thrust your hand right there. And when Thomas, God have mercy. Reaches up and touches the side in the hands of the Messiah, Brother Stephen. He pulls his hand away. And he sits down to cross his arms. He said, my Lord and my God. And he goes. What is that? 
I have just touched the master who has been anointed. Listen to what I'm telling you. When you touch Jesus, you cannot leave the room the same way that you came. Every time Thomas would go to lift his hands, he would smell the fragrance of that worship lingering. And he would raise his hands. And the only thing that he could say in that moment was, My Lord and my God. When Jesus touches your life, you're going to make people uncomfortable. But it's all right with me. Because I came this morning... Not to see or be seen. But I came to worship him in spirit and in truth. So if I get a few tears on my suit, don't you worry about it. If I put a little snot in my handkerchief, don't you worry about it, sweetheart. If I put a little scuff on my shoe or mess up the crease in my suit pants, don't you worry about it. I want to offer him some worship this morning. These altars are open today. If you're here and you desire to bring a fragrance to him, I would invite you right now with the purest of motives to bow yourself at his feet and say, Lord, I want to leave the residue of worship that when we walk out of this building today, that fragrance will still fill the room.